Welcome to the Bicultural Podcast. The Bicultural Podcast celebrates bicultural individuals and gives insight into cultural differences to help you improve business relationships. The podcast is presented by myself, Janina Neumann, the bilingual creative, social entrepreneur and business owner. Welcome to the Bicultural Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Eva Tunis Salvador, Director of Genuine Translations. In this episode, you will find out more about Eva's story about being bicultural, doing business with Spanish-speaking audiences, and tips for better business relationships between British and Spanish audiences. So, hello Eva, how are you? Hello Janina, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm really excited to have you on my podcast. Oh, I'm really glad um, you have invited me to this fantastic podcast. It's a real honour. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your kind words. So t- tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so my name is Eva Tunes Salvador. I'm from a little town in the southeast of Spain called Almeria. And I've been living in the UK since 2008. I've lived in Bristol, Leeds, Surrey and Cheltenham, uh, where I'm based now. Um, I have a Nigerian husband and two little girls born in Gloucester. So we are a multicultural, bilingual and biracial family. And it's the best thing ever. Um, professionally, I'm a Spanish translator. And uh, my business is called Genuine Translations. It's a multilingual translation company that can help with website localization e-commerce translations, transcreation, and legal certified translations. And now I would like to say that in Spanish, if that's okay. <laughs> yes, we'd love to hear it in Spanish. <laughs> Hola a todos, me llamo Eva Tunes Salvador, soy de Almería, al sureste de España, y he vivido en Reino, en Reino Unido desde 2008. He vivido en Bristol, Leeds, Surrey y Cheltenham, donde vivo ahora. Mi marido es nigeriano y tenemos dos, dos niñas pequeñas que nacieron aquí al lado, en Gloucester. Así que somos una familia multicultural, bilingüe y birracial, y es lo mejor del mundo. Profesionalmente soy traductora de inglés a español y mi empresa se llama Genuine Translations. Es una empresa de traducción multilingüe y ofrecemos servicios de localización de páginas web, traducciones para e-commerce, transcreación y traducciones juradas. That's it. <laughs> That sounded beautiful, and I'm I'm sure the Spanish um, listeners would have loved that. <laughs> Fantastic. So tell me a little bit more about um, when did you become bicultural? Okay, so um, before I became bicultural, I became bilingual. Um, it's important to note it's two different things. I became bilingual during my time in University of Surrey, where I came to do an Erasmus year in 2005. And that's where I met my husband. And since he could only speak English and I spent most of the time with him, my English really improved. <laughs> and then I went back to Spain. <laughs> yes, it's, it's the plus side of having a, an English um, speaker boyfriend. <laughs> and then I went back to Spain to finish uh, my degree. And when I moved back, I was living in Leeds and then Bristol. And that's when I uh, became bicultural. Uh, because I was immersed in the English culture, thanks to my work, friends, colleagues. Um, I learned the traditions, the values, and the way of living. And I could say I was settled in this country. 
That's really interesting. Do you sometimes feel that you take some of your bicultural um, elements and apply them to different situations? So, for example, with your um, Spanish um, friends, do you sometimes apply um, the way the English way of doing things um, to situations, or do you show your Spanish yeah. side a little bit more? Yes, I'm sure I do because uh, sometimes they tell me, "Oh, you've become really English," <laughs> and I wouldn't at first. I wouldn't understand what they mean, but then I would say, "Oh, yes, probably." Uh, even the way I dress, my mom always um, says, "Oh, you're becoming really English with the way you're dressing." I'm like, "Why? No." <laughs> um, yeah, it's little <laughs> things that I don't even notice, but um, yeah, they they obviously do. <laughs> That's really interesting to hear. So tell tell us a bit more about how would um, people in a, a business scenario in um, Spanish-speaking countries dress? Do you know a little bit about that? Yes. So um, they dress, um, um, I would say, in general terms, smart but casual. Um, uh, but um, there is less uh, um, suits I think for um, for male um, or at least I don't know I will say they look slightly different here you will say the same type of suit for every man and it's, I think in Spain there's a bit more variety or they tend to wear um, a blazer instead um, yeah so I, I will say here they dress a bit more um, they're a bit more classic uh, like more classical style or yeah traditional and um in spain there they they have that smart uh, casual element um, i don't know if many of the um the listeners will agree if they know um the way they dress the differences um yeah yes i i can certainly i can kind of picture it do you think um Within a Spanish um, business environment, are people a bit more colourful or are they more muted with their colours? Yes. So, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think in Spain you see more colours. Here you tend to see trousers uh, that are, yeah, smart trousers that are black or grey or dark blue. But in Spain you they are more... Um, um, yeah, they are not afraid of mixing more colors, and they tend to uh, to have brighter colors. I will say yes. That sounds really great because I've also noticed in like a British business environment, yes, mm -hmm. it's ma mainly grays or blues or blacks, and yeah. you see a lot more color variety with the way women dress, um, mm -hmm. but. There is this kind of muted um, color palette. I, I would agree with that. Yes. It yes. sounds like um, there has biculturalism has given you a lot of advantages also um, in business and in life. Would you like to share some yeah. of the advantages? Yes, lots of advantages. Um, the main one is really the joy and the fun and the wisdom of seeing and really understanding the differences between English and Spanish cultures um, being able to appreciate both cultures and teaching my children, family, friends about them and also becoming more sensitive towards those cultures and more aware of other cultures also around the world 
and well, professionally, it's what essentially differentiates Google Translate and uh, similar machine translation tools to human translators. So it saved my life, really, my career. <laughs> That's really interesting, and I can imagine that it, how how have you found bringing up um, your children um, bilingual? Are there do do they lean towards a certain language more than the other language, or how have they found it? Yeah. Um, so I've got two um, little girls, as I mentioned. The first one um, is, I would say she's completely bilingual, uh, but she speaks to her sister in English. And I think she's more comfortable in English because she has more people here that speak English to her. My husband speaks English to her and then obviously school and friends. Um, so for that reason, I think my youngest uh, is much more comfortable in English. She still understands everything I say in Spanish, and, and I only speak to them in Spanish, and um, which is good. But yeah, we'll, let's see. Um, she's only three, so uh, she might uh, at some point reply to me in Spanish, hopefully. Uh, but I think as long as at the moment, <laughs> as long as she can understand that, that's great. And uh, many people ask me, "Oh, how do you do it?" And I'm like, "Well." I just speak to them in Spanish. I, you know, force myself not to say anything in English. And it has worked so far. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> That's a fantastic commitment. And, you know, b b myself, I I um, grew up um, bilingual as well. And I've always really been thankful to my parents um, for putting me in that situation because it... You, it teaches you so much, but also it gives you a competitive advantage later in life. So I'm sure your children will be very thankful <laughs> for your approach. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> they are already teaching their friends some Spanish. <laughs> Fantastic. Exactly. And also, I think there's this um, sense of play as well with children and learning languages. So it's a lot more enjoyable for them because they don't just see it as learning vocab and um, getting everything right um, in their sentences as a way of expressing yeah. themselves. Yes, definitely. So tell me a little bit more about, um, you touched on what I would call um, transcreation within um, translation. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, transcreation is my favourite part of um, our translation services, I would say. Um, so it's a very creative process. It's uh, a mixture between uh, translation and copywriting. Um, and it's normally used for the advertising industry uh, or for uh, marketing. Um, so translators are more like copywriters with transcreation. And they are highly creative, as I said. And the purpose is to attract that target audience and uh, make them engage with what you have to say, as opposed to uh, liter literally translating uh, from, let's say, Spanish to English or English to Spanish. Um, and yeah, the goals um, are not so much to inform, they are to attract, to convince and ultimately to sell. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And it's comparing it to, you know, the um, people skills that you have to use in business. You might have, you know, the street strategic and technical know-how um which you might could say a machine has 
Um, but actually, it's the people and the softer skills that you need to form business relationships. So perhaps that's a good analogy of explaining the difference. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And also, um, you you have to remember with trans creation, you are usually selling something. So you have to really understand the culture and the aim of the company as well and the, um, let's say, advertising campaign so that you can then put that into uh, Spanish without sticking to the English because it will be completely different. So tell us a little bit more about um, doing business with um, Spanish-speaking audiences. Yes, so um, there are um, some differences uh, between Spanish-speaking audiences and English-speaking audiences. Um, the first of all, the first one, um, well, first of all, I will say it's worth noting that there are two main Spanish-speaking audiences, um, Spanish speakers from Spain and Spanish speakers from Latin America, which is huge. Um, just doing a quick Wikipedia search, there are more than 469 million people speaking um, Spanish as their native language, and more than 422 million um, are in Latin America, the United States, and Canada. So as you can see, it's a huge market. And this means there are already differences between Spain and Spanish-speaking countries uh, in Latin America. But I will say their approach to business is quite similar. So Spanish-speaking audiences take a relationship-first approach to doing business. Um, that means they want to meet you in person first, go for meals, and get to know you personally um, a bit more before signing any deal. Um, that's how they gain trust, and trust is very important for them. Um, they also prefer speaking to people they've been introduced to, mainly because of that search for trust and um, also because it's a more hierarchical culture than the English culture, where you can address the director of a company directly. Um, and also, if you are presenting information to them, they like to see you've done the research before jumping into any conclusions or statements. Uh, they like stats, references, etc. And in terms of communicating, they prefer to do this in person or over the phone as opposed to sending emails, which is the preferred method in England. Um, and finally, they also do less recaps. Uh, and they don't put things in writing after conversations as much as um, an English speaker. And we have a, um, a Spanish idiom that that's um, in Spanish. In Spanish, it, it is a buen entendedor, pocas palabras bastan. That means if you are good at understanding or if you are um, a good listener, few words are enough. Um, so, yeah, not so many recaps are needed. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think those are the main uh, differences between the two cultures. Fantastic. Um, the, it sounds like a very um, personal, um, personable and uh, efficient culture. Um, to make sure that everyone's on the right terms it sounds like a good way of doing business and I love your um, expression as well um, if you're and in for those of you listening in English um, if you're good at understanding things or a good listener few words are enough words that's fantastic so tell me a little bit more also about um, introductions so I can imagine that 
having um, a website that is in Spanish could also be an introduction to building that relationship first. Yes, definitely. It's uh, something you can uh, you can send your potential clients first. Um, it definitely um, uh, helps them build that trust, as we said, and especially if it, if it's in Spanish, uh, because um, not everyone speaks English in Spain, and they will connect um, more if the website is in their language, and not only their language but their culture. So if uh, their think cultural elements have been taken into consideration. Um, that's where localization comes in place. So localization is uh, not only translating uh, the words, but also uh, translating the cultural elements. And I will give you an example. Um, so in English, on a website, you will have the home button. Um, and that uh, translates literally in Spanish uh, as casa or hogar. Uh, but we don't use that on websites. We just say uh, inicio, which is start. Um, so if you want to, if you are browsing a website, you will say inicio um, in Spanish, uh, as opposed to casa or hogar. And there are many other things. Uh, so Asian languages, for example, they write um, from uh, right to left. So that has to be taken into account um, when you are building a website or localizing a website into those languages. And also things like colors, expressions. And yeah, it's really, really interesting when you um, learn all those differences. Um, like uh, I learned the other day that uh, in Greek, well, uh, yeah, the Greek uh, people um, find the thumbs up uh, symbol offensive. So, and that's actually something that's really common in um, here or the US. Um, and, and it's surprising to know that actually they find it uh, offensive. So that's something they'll need to take into account if you're localizing your website into Greek. And yeah, all those little details that will tell if, um, if the website is really um, translated by someone or, or localized, let's say, by someone who's specialized or they've just used, I don't know, the Google Translate um, tool that um, manually translates the websites, uh, which is good, but I think that's good for understanding a bit more what the website is about, but not for attracting your audience and selling to them. Certainly, and I also think it gives an impression of how serious you are about exporting into that market. Some businesses that I meet seem to forget that there are lots of competitors in that, for example, in Spain, that all speak Spanish fluently and have their way of doing it. So they seem to forget all about these competitors that are obviously on top of their game yes. with um, writing in Spanish and they then tend to just use Google Translate. Mm -hmm. And if you want to position yourself as an expert, you need to make sure that it's localized and that you don't encounter any of those cultural barriers. So touching on some of the cultural barriers um, with Spanish speaking audiences, do you have any examples? Yes, so um, the main ones I would say are working hours and days and uh, holidays and bureaucracy. 
Um, so as you probably know, if you've traveled to Spain, business hours are very different from the rest of Europe. Um, with most shops, uh, at least in Spain, you have morning hours between 9 a.m. and 1.30 or 2 p.m. and afternoon or more like evening hours uh, from 5 to 8.30 or 9 p.m. Um, this is because people stop for a break at lunchtime. And lunch is our main meal of the day and we have it in family. Um, and that's usually followed by a siesta, yes. Although definitely not everyone has an actual nap. It's a little bit stereotypical. Um, with offices, especially now in bigger cities, they take a more European approach to working hours and they don't have a big lunch break and they also finish a bit earlier in the evening. Um, but it really depends on the location and the type of business. And um, also most businesses close on Saturday afternoons and almost everything is closed on Sundays. And uh, the banks are closed to the public in the afternoons and civil servants don't tend to work in the afternoons either. So it's better to do any paperwork early in the morning. And then there are national and regional bank holidays, which are different from other countries. For example, Christmas and Easter have slightly different bank holidays. And many people take holidays in August, so you'll find many businesses are closed then. Um, and also, if you're planning to do business in Spain, uh, and this probably applies to Latin America too, just bear in mind the bureau uh, bureaucracy or the paperwork is a bit more than in England, and things take longer. Uh, we have another idiom for that. Um, cada cosa a su tiempo, one step at a time. Um, so, yeah, and I know this together with the language barrier can cause frustration, but I will just recommend to ask for specialist help. And, um, and finally, they are, these are not really barriers, but they might create a bit of a shock or frustration when you travel to Spain. One of them is personal space. Uh, you don't get much of that in Spain, unfortunately, although now um, we will with COVID. <laughs> and uh, many people still smoke. So if you don't like smoke, just choose carefully where to see that terrace is. I really don't like it. That's what really gets me when I'm in Spain. And also people generally speak faster and I'm trying my best here. Sorry. <laughs> um, and don't be scared if people raise their voices. I will just say we are just passionate about everything we have to say. That's fantastic. And I'm really glad that you shared these um, points with us because some people might have encountered them and now they understand them a little bit better and this is what the bicultural podcast is about is um to give some insight in things that people find odd and actually explaining them that these are part of the culture and is a part of um being involved um with Spanish people so that's really helpful so do you have any um, top tips for better business relationships between um, British and Spanish audiences? Yes. So um, number one, do your cultural and business research first, um, like everything um, in life. <laughs> uh, especially do research for the specific Spanish-speaking country you're interested in, because as I said, uh, differences, um, there are differences between those countries. Um, and if you can, ask for help from someone who knows that market. Uh, number two, learn some Spanish, even if it's a few sentences and words, so they can see you care. Uh, number three, don't be afraid of asking for introductions. 
and in fact um, try to look for introductions uh, because you are more likely to be heard. And number four, visit your clients in person if you can and get immersed in the culture. Uh, and number five, present any marketing and important information in good Spanish because this will not only avoid any misunderstandings but also helps with the trust element we discussed earlier. Um, and I would say these points would be pretty much the same if you are a Spanish speaker looking for better business relationships in English-speaking countries or for any cultures interacting between each other, really. Um, and I just have two more idioms. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> Yeah, we'd love to hear them. <laughs> so this is my favorite one. Um, Vísteme despacio que tengo prisa. That means dress me slowly because I'm in a hurry. Um, so if you rush, you are more likely to get things wrong. And the second one is uh, Ricky Raca, si tu padre quiere terneros, que compre vacas. If your father wants calves, he has to buy cows. So to win, you need to invest. And actually, I didn't know about that last one till this morning um, that my sister texted it to me and I found it quite appropriate. <laughs> so, yeah, um, if, you're, if you want to win, you need to invest. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, cada cosa a su tiempo. So one step at a time. <laughs> yes, I think that's a great quote about investing in your business and especially if if you're looking to export, um, make sure you do your research also um, with the companies that could help you expand into new markets. And having worked with Eva before, I can highly recommend talking to her about um, exporting into Spanish-speaking um, countries. It's been so fantastic to speak with you, Eva. I've really enjoyed it and I've learned so much. Likewise, it's been a real pleasure. So thank you so much for inviting me. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Bicultural Podcast. Thank you for listening and bye.